0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our third segment, we're going to bring back our pal Eric DeCitas to talk about, well, whatever Eric wants to talk about. We are certain that's going to be a fun interlude, and we are especially looking forward, probably on next week's show or the week after, to speaking with author Thomas Getz about his book, The Remedy, subtitled Robert Koch, Arthur Conan Doyle, and The Quest to Cure Tuberculosis. Writing about The Remedy, Carl Zimmer, author of A Planet of Viruses, said, In The Remedy, Thomas Goetz offers a wonderfully original story for modern science. He weaves together one of the great achievements of the 19th century, the germ theory of disease, with the creation of the fictional superhero of science, Sherlock Holmes, with grace and surprise. We also hope in the weeks to come we may be able to bring back to Radio Parallax Evan Thomas to talk about his book, Ike's Bluff, President Eisenhower's Secret Battle to Save the World. We'll be talking more about that book a little bit later in today's program, and I think it would be great if we could bring Evan Thomas back. That's a tall order, but... We're going to work on it. We also hope in the weeks to come to bring you author John H. Alt to talk about his book, Don't Die in Bed The Brief, Intense Life of Richard Halliburton. Said author Alt about his subject, Halliburton As I read his works, I found in them a person who deserved public attention. He has been too long neglected. We agree. Because chances are, dear listener, if you've heard the name Halliburton, you think of the defense contractor. And in fact, Richard Halliburton was a relative of that Halliburton, but uh, should be known to you, dear listener, for his travel writing back in the 1920s and 1930s. He was indeed a pioneer of a genre more familiar to us today, that based upon going to exotic places and writing about the people you meet and the adventures you have. Richard Halliburton uh, apparently had enough adventures for 50 men. We do hope we can bring on author Alt to talk about some of those. But let us commence today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 27th of March, a day which is not one of history's more scintillating dates, I must say. You know, it's a slow news day when our source, Today in History which is based upon the History Channel's television series, has items like this. March 27, 1794. The U.S. Congress authorizes the creation of a Navy. March 27, 1884. The first long-distance telephone call is made from Boston, Massachusetts, to New York City. Although although I think I do like this one. March 27, 1905. For the first time, fingerprint evidence is used to solve a murder case. Keep in mind that... uh, Many years before this, Arthur Conan Doyle had Sherlock Holmes speculating about the possible use of fingerprints to solve crimes. I guess it's an example of life-imitating art. And it was on March 27th in 1945, adding a certain amount of comic relief to the great tragedy that was World War II, Argentina decides it should probably get around to declaring war on Germany and Japan. Since the war in Europe was officially over five weeks later, that that looks like a pretty good bet. And here's one that I remember. It was 50 years ago today, March 27th in 1964, that the second largest earthquake ever recorded. Measuring, I don't know, something like nine on the Richter scale. They keep adjusting what the, the estimate was. Struck southern Alaska. It created a deadly tsunami, killing 125 people. Anchorage sustained the most property damage. The tidal wave measured over 100 feet at points and devastated towns along the Gulf of Alaska and also caused carnage in British Columbia, Hawaii, and here in California. Total property damage was estimated in excess of $400 million. And it was two years ago today, March 27th in 2012, that the Confucius Institute of the People's Republic of China quietly announced that it was purchasing the University of California at Davis. In fact, the Confucius Institute issued a press release earlier this week noting that Chinese tea tasting, paper-cutting workshops, tai chi classes, and lectures on Chinese customs will be among their savory offerings this spring. Yes, apparently a couple of years back, a uh, spokesman for the Confucius Institute said that the People's Republic of China was, quote, sick and tired, unquote, of having to pay out-of-country tuition fees for their students. Yes, you know, spokespeople say that although they regret having to remove UC Davis from the University of California system, it will now be governed by officials at Shanghai University. In fact, if you haven't heard about some of these developments, dear I think we probably ought to inform you about some of these. They, they are pretty surprising in some instances. Apparently, UC Davis's sports program will now be eliminated with the exception of gymnastics, badminton, and ping pong. The horse facilities, which are um, maintained by the School of Veterinary Medicine, will now be converted to a driving school. Spokesman said this will better meet the needs of some of our new students who are unfamiliar with the concepts of parallel parking and acceleration. In fact, some new clothing factories will be opening up down near Puta Creek. Spokespeople say they're looking forward to employing, quote, as many El Salvadorian and Honduran teenagers as we can cram into the facilities. And the good people at the food science department have announced that uh, they'll be spending uh, considerably more time in the future concentrating on dim sum. And in fact, almost everything you just heard about the Confucius Institute was actually our April Fool's joke. Aww. Although we would add that there actually is a press release noting that the Confucius Institute at UC Davis will be offering tea-tasting, paper-cutting workshops, tai chi classes, and lectures on Chinese customs, as we reported. This might be a good time to note that the opinions heard on this program, as well as its jokes, do not necessarily represent the opinions of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And we're almost 100% certain that the opinions and jokes heard in this program are not shared by the people at the University of Shanghai. At any rate, let's move on. Our quote comes from author Fletcher Neville, who said, "It is now proved beyond doubt that smoking is one of the leading causes of statistics. And our quote of the day comes from Fred Allen, who once said, television is a device that permits people who haven't anything to do to watch people who can't do anything. Our jokes of the day, and we have two, both come from the writers for Jimmy Fallon. First, a new poll found that two-thirds of Americans are following the situation in Ukraine, which is impressive. Usually you can't find two-thirds of Americans who are following the situation in America. Number two, in March Madness, there have been several upsets. Last Thursday, Harvard beat number five seed Cincinnati. Harvard students haven't been this excited since the last time they told someone they go to Harvard. Harvard had a good game plan. When they committed a foul, their dad called the ref and got them out of it. All right, our anecdote of the day concerns Lady Gaga. Uh, Doug, I need to remind you that uh, you instituted in this program a Lady Gaga free zone. So I did. It the anecdote is as disgusting as she is. We'll move on. Our stat of the day from The Week magazine, reporting on the Gallup organization, finds that 42% of Americans say that the seriousness of global warming is generally exaggerated in the news. This includes 68% of Republicans, but just 18% of Democrats. 54% of Americans think that global warming is already evident, however, which does include 73% of Democrats, but just 36% of Republicans. This appears to be an amazing testimonial to the power of propaganda. Propaganda. If you're watching Fox and listening to Clear Channel and reading Rupert Murdoch's papers, yeah, then you, you might be thinking that, yeah, this is just all, this is all exaggerated. After all, that's what they keep telling me over and over. Yes, it would seem that Rupert Murdoch may be inspired by Vladimir Ilyich Lenin, of all people, given that Lenin once said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Well, we'd have to say that's not literally true, but to may reflect the unknown wag who played off Abraham Lincoln by saying, you can fool all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, and that's sufficient for most purposes. also want to thank Gordon for the, for the first time, I think, ever, including a quote from this correspondent in a list of at least somebody's compilation of uh, notable quotes. Gordon quotes yours truly as saying, faced with the choice between a comforting lie and an unpleasant truth, Which one do you think most people will choose? And uh, yes, I did say it, and yes, it does reflect my thinking in this area. I think I should also cite uh, Gordon's lovely wife, uh, Lisa, who sent an email some weeks back, which I thought was curious. It noted that they were going to be opening up an institute to study chocolate and all of its health benefits. Now, I know we do have quite an extensive food science department here at UC Davis, quite a notable one, quite a distinguished one, and that the Mars Corporation did... uh, put up substantial money some years back to study chocolate. And that leads me to this little blurb from the news, which I think I will quote from extensively. The in-brief session of the Sacramento Bee several weeks back noted that a big study is being launched to see if pills containing the nutrients in dark chocolate can also help prevent heart attacks and strokes. The pills are so packed with nutrients that you'd have to eat a gazillion candy bars to get the amount being tested in this study, which will enroll 18,000 men and women nationwide. They quoted Dr. Joanne Manson, preventative medicine chief at the Harvard-affiliated Brigham and Williams Hospital in Boston, as saying, people eat chocolate because they enjoy it, not because they think it's good for them. And the idea of the study is to see whether there are health benefits from chocolate ingredients minus the sugar and fat. So yes, this study is going apparently to be the first large test of cocoa flavanols, which in previous smaller studies improved blood pressure, cholesterol, the body's use of insulin, artery health, and other heart-related factors. The study will be sponsored by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and Mars Inc., makers of M&Ms and Snickers. Yes, imagine that day in the future we'll be able to take a pill composed of chocolate to help you. Because I do find it interesting. This story talks about dark chocolate being of possible health benefit. In other countries, dark chocolate is known as chocolate. Here in America, it's the adulterated product which is, contains lots of milk and sugar that is called chocolate. And to those of you who prefer it, I say, well, good. That leaves more of the real stuff for the rest of us. I think we should at this point jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for faith. After devotees of a recently deceased Indian holy man, Ashutosh Maharaj, put his corpse into a commercial freezer, confident their guru was in a particularly deep state of meditation, said a follower, He is not dead. Medical science does not understand things like yogic science. Radio Parallax is adopting a wait and see attitude about this one, but if he does come back to life, we will be taking the entire KDVS core staff over to Raj's tandoor. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for asking Google anything, after new research revealed that users conduct 1,000 monthly searches for quote, "how to hide a dead body," unquote. 1,900 searches for "quote." how to get away with murder, unquote, and 4,500 searches monthly for, quote, why did I get married, unquote. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for sugar after White House executive pastry chef Bill Yosas resigned, largely out of frustration over Michelle Obama's order that he make healthier desserts. Yossis said, I don't want to demonize cream, butter, sugar, and eggs. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for uh, ethics, justice, and I guess also sports, with the news that a Brazilian soccer star who admitted having his model girlfriend killed and fed to dogs will be released from prison to play soccer for the state league. Evidently a year ago, Bruno Fernandes de Souza was sentenced to 22 years in prison for arranging the murder of Eliza Samudio so he wouldn't have to pay child support for their son. He's been in prison since 2012 after being convicted earlier of arranging Samudio's kidnapping. Brazilian law allows limited furloughs to felons who have served three years. And evidently, Fernandez has signed a five-year contract with the Montes Claros team and will show up under police escort for practices and games, returning to prison at night. So I guess at times our disgrace of a justice system will have to just sometimes take the backseat to other nations. All right, we note with some amusement that uh, the Fox television series Cosmos, and and like, there's some kind of cognitive dissonance there. Fox television series Cosmos. But it is turning out to be a pretty good program so far. But they've attracted a strange scientific controversy. In this case, um, about the episode that aired on Sunday, which has sparked doubts among creationists because they don't believe anything in the universe is more than 6,000 years old. And here was Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about uh, comets arriving from the Oort cloud, a region that's estimated to be 4.6 billion years old. Obviously, creationists have a problem. Uh, Comets cannot exist for more time than the entire age of creation. They think of the Oort region as something just imagined by scientists to name a birthplace for comets. Actually, it was a pretty cool bit of science that astronomer Jan Oort sat down and calculated where long-period comets appear to be coming from and speculated there must be a giant sphere of them out there something like a light year away. Unlike the Kuiper belt, which we're now learning about bit by bit, the Oort cloud is way too far away to be directly observed. Neil Tyson talked about how the average distance between uh, the cometary bodies out there is the distance between Us here on Earth and Saturn. That is, if you're keeping score, about a billion miles. I sure do hope that this this, uh, series of cosmos will take a look at uh, why Mars got so cold and dry. I'd like to know if the bright sparks over at the Planetary Institute and NASA and such uh, have been able to calculate that if you dug down in the Martian surface, how far down you'd have to go to reach temperatures and pressures that would keep water liquid. Seems like a fairly straightforward calibration. and I just wonder, uh, I wonder what the answers are to that. If you know or have some data that will shed light on it, please feel free to drop us a line at info at Because the simple fact is, although scientists do backflips to avoid saying it directly, there is still tons of water everywhere on Mars just not right on the surface where some future astronaut could dip his canteen. But uh, I love planetary science because uh, it always seems to feed back and help us understand our home planet a little bit better. And how about this item? And this we're quoting from Haaretz, March 13th of this year. Examining some minerals which, like diamonds, have erupted to the surface of the Earth from deep, deep in our crust and even down into the mantle of the Earth. Scientists have concluded that the minerals down there have a fair amount of water locked up in their uh, structure, maybe one and a half percent by weight. It doesn't seem like a lot, but seeing how much rock is down there, this might mean that the interior of our planet could well contain uh, as much water deep below the surface as we have on all the oceans, which we can dip our toe into. So it may well turn out that when you go down to the Earth's crust and you reach the transition level to the mantle, that that area is moist. Well, maybe not literally, but potentially moist if you extracted the water from the rock. There's a heck of a lot of science here we're just starting to get a, a handle on. All right, let's end this segment on a note of good news. We're going to try and have a good news item, at least one on every single show. And the one we're going to pick today is the fact that apparently... Cooler heads have prevailed at the United States Army Corps of Engineers. They've decided they will no longer force local levy agencies to choose between keeping trees on their levees and losing federal money for disaster assistance. We talked about this uh, many times over the past few years, and have puzzled over the well, what appears to us to be just sheer stupidity of the reasoning being used. A piece by Matt Weiser in the Sacramento Bee noted that until now, the agency had said that trees threaten levee safety and must be removed, arguing that tree roots could serve as a path for seepage through a levee or that trees could topple over in a storm and tear out chunks of a levee. The Army Corps' vegetation standards allow nothing but short grass, not even shrubs or trees. The reason this has never made any sense to us is look at what happens to hillsides when the vegetation is dead or removed. You get landslides, as there are not plant and tree roots to help hold things together. Because course, I did like a piece later in Matt Weiser's article saying that there has been little scientific proof that trees actually threaten levee stability, adding that officials at the California Department of Water Resources and the Department of Fish and Wildlife both opposed the policy of stripping off trees, warning it could bankrupt local levy districts and destroy the last of the state's riverside habitat. Hallelujah. I hope that's the end of this, but I got, I got a feeling it might not be. At any rate, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.